Welcome back to Kindly Gifted Season 4. I am so excited to have you along for the ride. No matter how it is that you tell your story, whether it's through your personality and influence or through your business and products, you have me in your pocket as your creative director on Speed Dial. Season four is filled with even more deep dives of how our favorite brands have built their success, how our favorite public figures and people of influence have built their personal brands, and also more insight from incredible guest experts to join me in having these powerful discussions. So thank you so much for continuing to tune in and supporting the show. And let's get into this episode, shall we? Molly, welcome to Kindly Gifted. I'm so excited to have you here to talk about talent management, but also the influencer marketing landscape. And I know that you serve as like a double agent for both brands and creators. So I think this will be an incredible conversation and I'm so honored to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I know that you started your career in social media marketing and then transitioned into the influencer space, specifically managing creators. Why did you decide to make that transition and what's it been like for you going from working mainly in-house or freelance for brands and also taking on now creator partnerships and, and managing their deals? Sure. So like, yes, like you said, I got my start in social media. I was a social media director for lifestyle brands at the time. Um, we managed everything top to funnel. So we did community management, content creation, paid media, um, gosh, copywriting, everything that has to do with social, um, <laughs> and transitioned into influencer. I was working at a very traditionally earned PR agency at the time that in their social media department. And for a long time, bloggers, they were called bloggers back then, were treated very much like editors in our earned PR funnel. And when Instagram came about and payment started to come into play, um, I sort of raised my hand. I was like, I don't really know that this really belongs under PR anymore. I think that, you know, our PR team didn't necessarily understand what a good engagement rate was or didn't know how to spot fake followers, which obviously working in social for so long was sort of our bread and butter. So um, moved to that leg of the business underneath the social media side um, and worked brand side in influencer marketing for about six to seven years before switching over to talent um, and fell in love with talent right away. I really felt that, um, I could move the industry forward more if I was actually working and be advocating on behalf of the talent. I always found that even when I was working agency and brand side, that like, I was always kind of like sticking up for the talent and making sure that I was mm -hmm. pushing back on my clients where we needed to. And like creative freedom was always a big thing for me. And so I just felt like, wow, I think I could really advocate and push this industry forward on, you know, making sure that creators are at the forefront of the creator economy and not brands at the forefront by switching over to talent. So um, yeah. fell in love with it and then opened my own agency in 2019 where we now do talent management. And you specialize specifically in multicultural female creators in a variety of different spaces, right? Yes, it, it is important to me that we do have a diverse roster. I think, again, coming up in this industry 12 years ago now, it was started by like white Mormon mommy bloggers. And that was the, the standard and the protocol for a really long time where it was skinny white women that were getting all of these partnerships. And 
we obviously see the world as much more diverse than that. And it really wasn't reflected in the industry at the time. And so when I was building out my roster, it was important for me to make sure that I have, you know, people from diverse backgrounds, whether that's, um, you know, POCs or people from the LGBTQ community. I think that we want our roster to reflect what we think the greater economy looks like. Yeah, I agree. I think that's such a powerful um, concept that, feels like it should be second nature because when we go out into the world, we don't just see one race or one gender. We see so many different types of people and to have that reflected in marketing is so important. So it's crucial that we have people like you that advocate for a variety of different people um, on the creator side. What would you say is something that you've noticed from representing multicultural creators or creators from very diverse backgrounds how is their experience maybe a little bit different from creators that don't have um, those those same outlooks on the world or maybe have the privilege of not having to experience certain roadblocks that diverse creators have to deal with on a daily basis? Yeah, I was actually just talking to one of my creators about this the other day. And we were discussing how algorithmically on TikTok, it can be really difficult for women of color. Um, she feels that her content needs to be more elevated, more interesting. This sort of like, um, you know, these short seven seconds pouring my coffee in the morning type of things just don't perform well for women of color. It's they have to be creating something that is so much more interesting, that is so much more eye catching. And I think that's a lot of pressure for a multicultural creator. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's that's a tough hill to be facing when you feel like I can't get my content pushed out on the For You page. Um, whereas, you know, I'm looking at my white counterparts that I think are doing things that are quote unquote, like less interesting than what I'm putting out there. And it feels like it's being picked up um, by the algorithm. And so I think that's really difficult. Um, and then obviously, of course, like on the partnership side of things, like it is still predominantly very, you know, white, most of the campaigns that we're seeing. And I think that brands are definitely doing better about making sure that we're casting diversely. But I think that's still really an uphill battle. And I think even if they are getting past it, if they are getting casted, are they getting paid the same as their white counterparts? And I think that that's definitely something that, you know, I wish we had more transparency in, in this industry of people are getting paid for what? Um, but yeah, I think there's definitely, you know, I think that's the important thing about having a great manager who can be there as your advocate. And also, you know, I was telling my other client about this, that I think it's really great that we're able to get her, you know, a check and a payday. But I think it's also really important when we're working on these campaigns is also asking like, okay, but who else is on this campaign? Do you have mm -hmm. other diverse creators or is she going to be the only black creator on this campaign? Because it's great to get your check, but I think as individuals and as women in this space, like we want to move the industry forward, right? Like we want to create a lane for more black women or more POCs. So I think asking those types of questions of who else is on this campaign, who else have you casted is, is really important. Um, otherwise, you know, I think that we get stuck in these really individualized places as creators. Right. Yeah. And the industry is so tight knit and so small that it's like you said, incredibly important to ensure that you're sending the elevator back down to other people yeah. who could also benefit from, you know, growth and being represented in partnerships and things like that. I think that's so crucial. How would you recommend for a creator 
who doesn't have a manager um, to go about looking for one. I've had other managers say their opinions. Everybody's so different in terms of the things that they would recommend to a creator about working with a manager, looking for a manager. And I'm so curious to hear what you have to say on behalf of your agency too. Yeah. I think this is a question we get asked a lot. Um, and, and it really, de- it totally depends on you. I would say like in general, my rule of thumb is that I don't think that you should be bringing on a manager unless you're at a place in your career where you actually need management. A manager's mm-hmm. job typically is to manage your partnerships, which means your partnerships that are coming in to you outreach from brands. Um, they negotiate those partnerships. They're there to not, you know, they're there to hopefully negotiate a higher rate for you. They are there to make sure that you're covered by reviewing your contracts and that you're not sort of signing your life away. Um, those are sort of like the typical, and also just there to like streamline, right. And help make sure that like your partnerships are in flow and that things are ticking along and that you really only have to worry about like your community and the content that you're creating. Um, so that's what I usually say. I say, if you're not pulling your hair out and you don't feel like you're stressed to the max with, you know, managing your partnerships and you're doing things like missing deadlines or not getting back to emails and missing opportunities because you're not getting back to emails, you probably don't need a manager yet. I also say that you need to think about this as a financial decision because it very much is a financial decision. A manager is most likely going to be taking 20% of your partnerships. You need to feel financially secure and what you're bringing in revenue wise to quote unquote, give up. We earn it obviously, but to get for this combo to say, to give up 20%. Um, can you do that with what you made last year, hoping that, you know, you're growing every single year. I think that's, you know, maybe some people are growing this year. Maybe they're not. This has been a very strange year in the influencer space. Um, so I would say that is definitely something to think about too. There are a lot of managers out there that do do really active pitching. We do active pitching for our clients. Um, but that is always, you know, it's, it's a guessing game of whether or not those partnerships will come through. It's also a long funnel. You know, I, just secured a partnership in March that I had been pitching since September of last year. So like it is a very long game and you have to be prepared to be able to do that. Um, So that's, I would say if you're really looking for management is to think about like what you want your management to do and what their capabilities are. Um, And then I also just think like vibes, I always go off vibes. Like you want to find somebody who you'll spend a lot of time with your management. I think I text my clients more than like they text their own husbands. Like it is something where you will have a very strong and close relationship with them. And so making sure that like, you just feel like working styles are aligned and things like that. Yeah. I was speaking to another contact who also happens to be a manager and she mentioned something that I'm curious to hear your opinion on. She thinks that creators are a little too maybe rushed to find management that they're so ready to hand over essentially their business and their back end to somebody that they don't know. What do you, do you experience that as well in terms of people maybe coming to you from, from management inquiries, or do you find that in the creator landscape that having a manager has become so glamorized that people are so willing to like hand over their business to just to say they have a manager I think there's, there's definitely an air of feeling like I need to get management. 
And, mm. and I think it's, again, setting expectations about what you think that management is. I think that people think that by bringing on management, that they're going to like three X my business and they're going to flood me with opportunities. I'm going to work more than I've ever worked before. And like, that is not what management is for. A lot of management companies don't really do active pitching. Um, you know, not at a volume where they would be able to, you know, maybe three, four X your business. Um, I think there's an air around, I need to bring in a professional. I want someone who's pitching me all the time. I want some securing me deals. And like, that's not, again, like that's not the goal of your manager. The goal is to manage your existing partnerships that you do have. And of course, bring you new opportunities, but you should still be bringing in about 70% of your own business and 30% should be supplemented from your manager. Um, I know some people that do like an 80, 20 split, but that's really where you should be at. I think, of course, it's really nice to feel like there's some legitimacy about having a manager, the air of I'm looping in my management team. And, um, you know, that hopefully comes with something that I think people have the idea that like, oh, I can charge more for this now. And like, I feel legitimate. I have a management team. And so I can command more, um, which, you know, hopefully, again, your management team does have an understanding of like what should be priced in the creator economy right now, what they're seeing across brand portfolios and what brands are, you know, accepting for rates and they can use that to negotiate on your behalf. Um, but I always think it's like, I think that you should do it on your own for as long as you can do it on your own. I think it's really important for also you to understand the business. And I think that that's where like a lot of creators kind of get caught up of bringing on management. If you've never been able to look at your own contracts, if you've never negotiated your own deals, if you don't understand what things like in perpetuity and work for hire and usage looks like and indemnity clauses, like those are all things that you should really familiarize yourself with before handing that over to somebody else and just say, can you handle this? It's right. kind of like running any other business where like, if you're a brand with like a CPG product, like and you're a founder, like you've probably worked in logistics, you've probably like in your own company, like you've done shipping, you've done operations, you've done social media marketing, you know enough to be able to, when you do bring somebody on as you continue to grow, you can now talk to a social media director and understand that mm -hmm. language. You can now talk to your ops team and understand that language. That's really important. And I think that bringing on management too early and not immersing yourself in your business leaves you kind of high and dry in a lot of ways. Okay, so on the flip side for brands communicating with managers, this is something I've personally encountered as somebody who's worked inside brands is sometimes you'll communicate with a manager that will leave such a bad taste in your mouth that you literally never want anything to do with the creator that's being represented by that. Like you're not even going to go around. the. You're just like, whoa, if this is the person that they hired to represent them, I can only imagine the bullet that we dodged when it comes to the talent itself. What is the view of brands on talent managers? I've heard some creators say that when they don't loop in management or they don't say they have management, that brands are more likely to work with them because of past experiences that they've had with managers. Do you experience like pushback because a brand has had a negative experience with a manager? Super curious on like that whole thing. I know you guys, we get this rap. I feel so bad. <laughs> I, it happens, right? I think in every industry, there are definitely like bad eggs, quote unquote. Um, right. I would say like, 
because I've worked on the brand side for so long, like I try to make it as pleasant of an experience as possible. And I think it's really, really important for managers to always remember that the brand is, even if they're contracted through you, the brand wants to work with the creator. Like you are here to make that experience as pleasant as possible and as easy as possible, but like, they're not here for you which I know is like an ego check for us all. Like they're not, like they're not here for us. Like they want to work with the creator. They're interested in their content and them as people. And I think for us, we really kind of have to, it is our duty to make sure that we make that as smooth as we possibly can and and, and as pleasant. I think like I always say for my managers, like my biggest nightmare is, to have a brand that would say exactly that, you know, I'd love to work with Jess. She's so perfect for this, but like Molly is so absolutely miserable that we just, we can't like, that is my worst nightmare to even begin to think about that. And so I think there's ways as a manager to always put your client in the forefront. I have a rule where like my clients are not CC'd on emails and that's just like an inbox management thing for them. But I always email as if they are. And so I would never send an email that like my client would be embarrassed by. And I think that there's not enough. I think that there's some managers out there that sort of forget that, you know, they have to have just email as if your client's on the chain, if your client would be embarrassed or if I would get a phone call from my client to be like, uh, why did you just go off like that? Or that's not how I would have handled that situation. That would tarnish the relationship that I have with my clients. So I think that, yeah, it happens. And I think that this industry, like you said, is so small. And I feel like there are definitely agencies that have, you know, and brands and agencies that have sort of like their black ball list of like, oh, we don't want to work with this agency because it's just so miserable, which makes me really sad. Um, I don't think that we've ever been in an encounter where like someone has said like, oh, we won't work with you because like you have management. If it, I have definitely been in situations where like, Hey, we're happy to work with you, but like, we also want to make sure that we have access to your client. So like she needs to be on the onboarding call or something like that. Um, we want to brief with her. We want touch base with her, which is fine. Like I, again, I think it's important to let your client foster the relationship with the brand. Um, because again, I just think that makes for like a better and more authentic partnership anyway. So I think as much as we can kind of like get out of the way to let that happen, the better. Yeah, that's such a good point. I remember when um, any creator friends that I have that would be like, oh, you know, you've been on the brand side, you've communicated with managers, like what's one thing you would recommend? I'm like, try to at least on the very beginning, like get CC'd on emails. Like you may like the person and how the chemistry aligns with them and they seem like they would be a really good friend to you. But sometimes you may see when they start to represent you or communicate on your behalf that the communication styles might be different. They might not be bad. They just might be totally different. So at least in the very beginning, it could be nice to see if there is a possibility to be CC'd on emails or at least see past examples of how that manager has communicated because yeah, the industry is so small. And the last thing that you would want to do is even as a manager too, is like ruin relationships on behalf of your client. Cause that your name just gets passed around from brand to brand, person to person as like a red flag. But um, it was interesting to hear kind of your stance on this and your thoughts being a manager yourself, because you have a lot more experience in terms of representing creators and, and what that communication actually looks like. 
completely. I also just think I live in a fear of like, oh wait, like if an email is ever forwarded to my client to be like, uh, do you know how your manager is speaking? <laughs> like, I just like have a fear of that because I've been on that on the brand side. I'm like, oh my God, I wish I could just loop their talent back in because there's no way that she knows that her, that her management is like nice. speaking to us like this. There's just like, there's no way that she would know that I've never done it before, but I live in a fear of that <laughs> happening for me. And so again, I just think like, I just think in general too, like kindness just goes so far in this industry. I think like we also just have to remember that like we all have the best freaking jobs ever. Like this is the coolest industry that we get to work in. And so yeah. I think kindness goes a really long way in making us all feel better and move move the process along. So true, especially important now when you mentioned a little while ago that the influencer marketing landscape is kind of crazy right now. Can you elaborate on what you meant by that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously has changed so much since like I've been doing it, but I think this year, especially it's, um, it's just different. I think it's much slower this year, um, than it has been in years previous. I think like, you know, we're coming out of the COVID boom where I think everybody was like, raking it in everybody was making money and I think now we're starting to see um that that's you know some macro shifts there and that might be something where it's you know an economic shift but I also think that the way that brands are casting campaigns is definitely different than it was before um I you know was having a conversation with some of my lifestyle creators about this that brands are absolutely still casting in the lifestyle category 100% I think true influence will always reign supreme when you're casting campaigns. And I think being able to truly like drive conversion or shift brand opinion is always going to be important. Um, but I think this like content creation bucket of things is also, you know, really shifting the way that brands are spending budget. I like the example that I was using the other day, I think like Tide used to lean really, really heavy into um, mommy bloggers, you know, it was moms doing kids laundry. And that made sense for a really long time. But now there's really interesting niches that they can play in, in the content creation side of things. So like whether that's clean talk or like, like a mechanic or something like that, or even like a cool like expressionist painter who can create these like really out of the box con pieces of content that, that, that can then be repurposed or, you know, that content is supposed to be viral or buzzworthy. Whereas like your lifestyle creators are not going to create that type of content. It's completely different. And so people that are used to kind of being casted for those campaigns are not only fighting for a spot in like the influencer, you know, lifestyle creator side of things, but also like in that content creation bucket, which is something that they don't play in and that's not their specialty. And so I think budgets are just being spread differently than they were before. Um, and so that's causing a lot of people to feel like, okay, I need to shake some things up because, or I need to look at different revenue streams because I'm not, you know, brand partnerships aren't flowing to me in the way that they were two years ago. Mm. Do you also think that there's a bigger emphasis, whether it's because of the economy or just in general towards like performance driven influencers who are more, you know, have established a track record probably at the very beginning organically of being able to just drive conversion like crazy are brands more likely to invest in a creator like that because they have a proven track record of results or is it dependent on what part of the funnel are we looking at where can that creator fit in so how does that casting kind of process work 
I think yes, brand specifically, um, you know, your larger sort of like S and P 500 brands. So like your J and J's, your Unilever's like conversion is never going to be a play for them because they just have so much like omni-channel distribution. Like how can you even begin to track? Um, but your traditional D to C brands, absolutely. I think that, you know, the, we aren't able to be in a place right now where they can spend money and not see a return on it. Um, mm. I think like with different, with the, the way that paid media is working with the iOS updates, being able to invest in this channel, I think still makes sense for them, but it needs to have a return. Um, and so, yes, I think like you were seeing the creators that have been able to drive conversion are still being able to book business because those, those sorts of brands are relying on them. Um, and yeah, if you're not able to convert, I'm sure that you're seeing like a really hard time booking some of those more like traditional D 2 C brands that happen to do a lot of influencer work because it is a strong channel for them, but they have really specific, you know, CPAs that they have to hold themselves to. And they're not able to be as, I think, as flexible as they even were previously. Budgets are tighter around that. Right. I hear a lot of pushback from creators who say, maybe to something like, oh, well, you know, I'm not a salesperson. Like an influencer is not a salesperson. I don't need to drive conversions. If they want me to drive conversions, they should pay me more money. Like I, as an advertiser, completely disagree with that kind of opinion because then what is influence? If you're not influencing people's behavior, then what are you doing? But I'm kind of curious from your perspective, what do you think on that kind of stance that a creator takes where they think that they're not responsible for meeting KPIs or conversion or anything like that? I don't feel like we're setting creators up for success to drive conversion right now in the way that we're structuring campaigns. Mm -hmm. I, when I'm working with brands, I'm very, very specific about what their KPIs are. Are you looking for a specific ROAS? If you are, what is your AOV? AOV is incredibly important to ask a brand if they are looking to like one and a half X a campaign and your story rate is like $2,000. And so they're looking to bring in, you know, 2,500, 3,000, just kidding. I can do math. I promise. Um, and their AOV is $20. That's a lot of product to move. That's like 200 units, right? Like that's on, on a first time story, a four frame Instagram story. It's just not feasible for a lot of people, right? I'm not saying it's not feasible for anybody, but for a lot of creators, that's not feasible. Um, and so we're not setting creators up for success when we have really kind of crazy KPIs in that way. If we want to work on something for conversion, we could do a couple of different things. A, let's structure the scope differently. Let's do a couple of follow-up stories. Let's try to make something that's multi-month. Again, if this is the first time that she's been talking about this product, it would be very difficult to have somebody swipe up and purchase. It just, that is tough, right? We need to see something, it's marketing 101. We need to see something a minimum of seven times. So how can we have multiple touch points here? Whether it is follow-up stories, whether it is a newsletter, maybe it is a reel, maybe it is building and blog, whatever that case might be. Um, and then also like lead time, I think is so important when you're looking at conversion focused campaigns. It would be really difficult for us to get a product, post a story next week, and then try to have some sort of like positive ROAS from that, right? right? If we can get that product a month ahead of time, can we start peppering in organic stuff? Can we start having her mention it now? So when that story does go live, audiences have been primed. They know that she loves it. She's, they've seen her talk about it before. So you can probably give yourself, you know, 
a stronger average of conversion in that way. So I think, you know, I would love for us to be able to say like, we're not salespeople. And like, that's not what we're here for. Um, the industry has shifted and it definitely has moved in that way. And that's fine. If you want to say that, like you just might not book that business, right? You might not be working right. with day to C brands. Like maybe, you know, somebody like a, a Brooklyn and isn't going to be knocking on your door because you don't feel like you are, you know, your audience is private for conversion. And that's totally fine. There's a lot of brands out there. Like I just said that are here for brand awareness. Um, but I think if you are going to have conversion as your KPI, structure the campaign to make it successful. I think trying to do something where it feels very one-off and then just being like, well, that didn't work and we're not going to rebook you because you didn't make our KPIs or even worse, like, well, influencer marketing doesn't work for us. I'm like, mm, it does. It's just, did you actually structure it in a way that made sense? Right. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's on the brand to, I mean, maybe it's on the influencer to also advise, but sometimes like you said, I don't think a lot of influencers are really prepped to know how to navigate that conversation yeah. unless they have the help of somebody like you. Um, but it is largely on the brand to actually figure out the strategy of how this influencer fits in so that they can then drive conversion to whatever it is that they're looking to do. Um, and the influencer still is the one helping them with that conversion. So the sales skills should be there. I think if they're you know, taking on those kinds of campaigns. Otherwise, yeah, it does put a bad taste in a brand's mouth if you say you can drive conversion and in reality you can't. But it's very interesting how the industry has kind of transitioned because I firmly remember when influencers were utilized primarily in awareness. And if an influencer drove conversion, that was like, oh my God, this is insane. What a delight. And yeah. now it's kind of the complete opposite where conversion is like, or awareness is implied. Like, yeah, duh. Cause it's a lot easier. It's more accessible to drive awareness. Perhaps the, the conversion is, is something that plenty of brands have now seen influencers being able to prove their capabilities with doing. So the expectations are like, you should be able to drive conversions because look at all of these other creators that are able to do that, that we can go to and are willing to pay 20 to 50 grand for the conversion and the ROAS that we're going to receive on that. I think it's so interesting how the industry has kind of evolved. Completely. It's shifted a lot. And I think it's like, it's important to know what your strength is as a creator. I have some women that are, you know, drive insane conversion that probably are not going to create a piece of content that would be, you know, whitelist worthy for you. Um, they aren't out of the box creators. They aren't somebody that like, you would want to come to for paid media usage, um, but they can convert their community. They can get their community on board with the products and services and brands that they're talking about. So I think like, that's definitely rule number one, like own whatever space it is that you're in. Um, and really stick to that. And, and don't be afraid to say like, Hey, I, I love your brand. I'm a huge fan, but if you are looking for conversion, I might not be, you know, the best play for you, but maybe we can work on some content creation together. Like I can license it for you for paid media. Um, there's always, there's always an angle. Where would you recommend for a creator or an influencer specifically, who's looking to influence consumer behavior in that way? to learn more about how they can position themselves, whether it's, okay, I have the, the conversion capabilities. So how do I market myself to a brand then versus I don't know that I'm really the right for conversion campaigns. How do I, you know, maybe call myself as a content creator, as a creator, how do they figure out like where it is that their, their skills are really shining? 
Yeah. I think if you're a conversion focused creator, like, you know, right. Like you have some, you're a part of some sort of affiliate network and you work, you know, creating some sort of revenue stream from your affiliate rev. Um, mm. Use that in case studies in your pitches to brands. I always include some sort of like data, I would say in my pitches that are not views that are not, that are not, you know, engagements per se. It's, we can drive dollars for you. And here's how we've been able to do that for other brands or even your brand. If I'm pitching a brand partner and my client has talked about them organically and linked them via affiliate, I'll pull that revenue numbers and I'll send that to the brand. Hey, like we just had, you know, 500 clicks and we sold 80 different items for X amount of dollars. Like, and this was just on an organic play. Like give us a chance to actually put across some like solid key messaging from you and like really immerse ourselves into your brand. And I'm sure that we can like recreate this magic for you. Um, so I think like lean really heavy into like your data that you have available to you via the affiliate networks that you're on. Um, I think if you're not a conversion focused creator and you are more so, you know, on the content creation side of things and you're looking to work with brands, create some organic content for them. You don't even have to post it, but just maybe shoot like a quick video or a quick TikTok and send it over to them and say like, Hey, this is something that like I thought of. This is a cool and unique idea that I think that we can create for you and your brand and wanted to attach it for you. Um, can definitely create something similar, or if you wanted to even license that piece of content, that would be amazing. But like wanted to give you an idea of what I can do for you um, and how I see like your brand coming to life to my audience. Oh, that's such a good suggestion. And on the brand side, what would you recommend to brands to provide maybe a more like educational guidance driven experience to an influencer so that they can kind of better understand you know, how to be a proper collaborator for a brand. Cause I think brands send over briefs. First of all, cracks me up as a creative director that brands think that influencers automatically know how to read a brief. That's mm, like, especially when 20 pages long. Right. Cause even when I was um, casting influencer campaigns for brands, a lot of the questions that we get in return to creative briefs would be, do I need to replicate the images in the brief are like, they, you know, maybe don't necessarily know how to navigate those conversations. How can brands provide a more like guide, more guidance or more education, or what would you propose for brands to do in order to really like create a favorable experience on that end for a creator? Yeah. A couple of things. A, I think like onboarding calls are great. I know a lot of people feel like, Oh, I got to get on the call. And like, they're usually quick. It's, it's good for a couple of reasons. Usually a, you get FaceTime with the brand, which is incredibly invaluable. That is mm -hmm. invaluable in building relationships. It's that is your time to like, yes, talk about the campaign, but also like Kiki a little bit. Where are you from? <laughs> How long have you been doing this? Like try to find common ground. Like this, this industry is built on relationships so much. Right. I mean, all you have is your network in this industry. And so if a brand wants to get on a call, do that take advantage of it. And I think it's a good time for brands to not only run through that brief, but like, let's also brainstorm creative concepts. So what are you thinking? I think always either sending over like a creative concept sheet to the creator or talking about it live and working through some of those ideas. Okay. This is how I want to bring it to life. This is how I'm thinking I'm going to shoot it. Is there anything, this is the, the creator talking. Is there anything 
from this brief that is like a must that I must include in here? Like, do you need a specific visual? Do you need a specific key point? Um, do you need text overlay? Do you want this voiceover set to music? How long do you want this to be? Like really start sort of diving into some of those specifics. There's like nothing worse than a reshoot. Nobody ever wants to do a reshoot. So like cover all of your bases if you can. Um, and I think that way you're getting, you know, you're giving them specifically exactly what they're looking for. And it also is a good way to segue into goals. How uh, the creator asking the brand, how do you see success in this campaign? What, right. what does success look like to you? Are you looking for a specific impression number? Are you looking for a specific engagement percentage on this? Do you want to see shares or saves? Do you want to see sales? If you do want to see sales, what does that need to look like in terms of like, do you have a specific ROAS or are you measuring by, you know, customer acquisition costs? Like that's a really good time for you to be asking those questions, but also a brand to be very clear about their goals, which I find that sometimes brands are not. It's like, yeah. what's the goal? And they're like, oh, you know, it's awareness and sales. I'm like, okay, well, that's a not that helpful. Um, right. <laughs> like, sure, it's both. But like, what does that mean to you? Like every brand usually has some sort of specifics. I mean, marketing departments have, they have specific numbers that they're measuring against. So ask for that. Um, and as a brand, like offer them to the creator. Like this is how we measure success. Um, I think, you know, everyone wants to get rebooked, right? For the next campaign. And so like, your question as a creator should be, how does this need to perform in order for us to work together again? Yeah, that is such a powerful statement that you said. I think will be super helpful on both the brand side and, and also the creator side of figuring out how to work together. My final question for you, and it's a little open-ended, what is one piece of advice that you can think of as a manager that you would advise for a creator to know, especially a creator that is still working towards acquiring management or some sort of representation? I would say like in general for creators, I think starting to generate the best way to build relationships with the brand is to do so organically first. And so mm -hmm. create content around the brands and the products that you love. Interact with those brands on social. Like and I'm not saying to, you know, DM them to ask them for their influencer collab email. Like I'm talking about like genuinely interact with their content. If they're posting videos, comment on them, respond to their stories, like start to build an online rapport with them. So you can hopefully eventually move that into a relationship. I don't think enough creators are really like interacting with brands on a social level as much as they should be. I mean, it used to happen to me all the time when I was working brand side and people would pitch us and say like, Hey, like I'm obsessed with your brand. I love you guys so much. I'd love to work together. And then I noticed that like, you're not even following us on like Instagram. I'm like, Ugh. it's like things like that, that I'm just like, they're small, but they really will go so far. Whereas like, especially the individual brands that are casting when they come back to build lists, like, and your name pops up in their inbox and they're like, Oh, I like, she, like, she talks to us all the time on social. She's always DMing us. She's always commenting like the nicest things. She goes to our in-person events and our pop-ups. Like she, we know her, we recognize her. And so I think trying to build those relationships by doing that, um, is so, so important. And, and I know that that's a bit of like a long game. I feel like we all just want to like write a great pitch email and see if we get anything back. Um, yeah. But I think the relationship build is, is so important um, to build up yeah, your own portfolio. 
Exactly. And it benefits everybody involved. It benefits the audience of the influencer because then they're like, oh, yeah, she really does love, you know, whatever brand Tide or Wendy's like, yeah, she goes there all the time. Or it also benefits the brand because then they have like proof of concept, like all the different types of content that you created with the brand name or even just like the effort of being doing that. I think it's a lot easier to do, obviously, if you genuinely like the brand and you're not like working to get their attention, you're like, this is already something I'm obsessed with. So why don't I just share it with my people? But I think that's such a good tip to remember in terms of like the relationship building aspect is is not just asking for somebody's email. It's like actually proving to them that you care about their business and you care to help them in some capacity. Completely. And I think that's like, those are the best partnerships that I see come to life. Like I love nothing more than I like when I'm following a creator, it just happened to me the other day. She's like a Dyson obsessed. Like she's done like 8,000 tutorials. Like she's given them so much like love publicly. And like, she just booked a Dyson campaign and it went live the other day and she got so much love on it because everyone was just like, finally, like you got your due. Like they finally like noticed you. And it was just like, it was the best. And I feel like Dyson had to be so happy with the engagement around it because there were lists, like stuff like that when it comes like these sort of like stars align campaigns, like it's a feel good for everybody. And I think that's the best partnerships that you could book. Right. I completely agree. Well, thank you so much, Molly, for your time and chatting with us about all things influencer when it comes to the representation side, but also working brand side. Um, I think it'll be super helpful to anybody listening from all of these different sides of the industry to hear from your experiences. Amazing. Thanks so much for having me. It was so fun. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking this show to 16,000 plus streams in just a short period of time. I am forever grateful. Our next goal for Kindly Gifted is to dominate these motherfucking charts. And for that, I need your help. If you could do me a quick favor and click follow or subscribe on the platform that you're listening on and drop a quick rating of what you think of the show, that would greatly help us climb the charts because transparently speaking, that's the only way that we can do it. I need you to click follow, click subscribe, and again, drop a quick rating of what you think of the show. And let's get us to number one. Thank you again so much and tune into the episode. If you're listening to this, it means you've reached the end. And I'm so grateful that you tuned in to another episode of Kindly Gifted. If you don't mind to give this show your honest rating and review, I'd greatly appreciate it. And click follow or subscribe to keep up with new episodes. If you want to chat about what you just heard in this episode, I'm all ears. You can find me on Instagram at Katarina Tarantiva or on TikTok with the same handle. And I'll link both of them in the show notes below. If you want to chat with me one-on-one or maybe get some accessible resources on how it is that you can create invigorating marketing for your brand or develop your personal presence online as a person of influence, check out my stand store. I'll also link that in the show notes and there's more goodies coming your way. So don't forget to bookmark the link as well. Anyways, that's my spiel and I'll see you in the next episode.